Good evening. Glad you can be with us again for uh, Relational Theology number eight. I want to say uh, we've been building a foundation for biblical theology. Uh, if you're still with us into the eighth class, you're to be affirmed. We live in an instant society. People don't want to take the time to build foundation. It doesn't look exciting or jazzy. Uh, unfortunately, if we don't take the time, we end up with a theology that's like a Hollywood set. It might look like it's something, but reality, it's just paper and glue. And so let me affirm you, if you're still here, uh, we're building a foundation for biblical theology. We've been talking about restoring relationship and rulership. And last week we got to the New Covenant. The New Covenant restore is, is about restored relationship. We remember that Jesus was a scapegoat. He took our sin so we could become righteous, so we could have relationship with God. But not just any relationship, but a relationship of love and intimacy, similar to a marriage covenant. Not a relationship of fear and cringing, but a relationship of love that we can come boldly to his presence. In essence, a new and a better covenant. And then we touched on the kingdom of God being restored rulership. You know that Jesus actually spoke more about the kingdom of God than anything else. Very first thing he preached in Matthew 4, 17 was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. And then after his resurrection in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says uh, he's during 40 days speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's spoken awful lot about the kingdom. We're going to get to that. Eventually, I was hoping we were going to do that this week, but I kind of got sidetracked a little bit, so it might be next week. But here's the question. Why did Jesus speak more about the kingdom than about salvation? In fact, if you look at the scriptures, it's about 10 times more about the kingdom of God than about salvation. I think when we look at salvation or the res restoration of relationship, it's all about grace. It's about what God has done. He provided the sacrifice. He took our sin upon himself. He loved us and chose us while we were still sinners. Romans 8, 5 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to make ourselves better or cleaner or more righteous. In fact, we can't do that. We just have to say yes. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 4 to 9 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up together and made us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you've been saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
We don't have to make ourselves clean. It's all what God has done. Grace, most of you would know the term is unearned, unmerited, or undeserved favor of God. It's closely tied to love and mercy. So Jesus didn't have to speak a whole lot about that because it was, it was more about what he did. But the kingdom of God, or the restoration of rulership, requires our submission and participation. It functions different than the world. That's why we have to repent. The word repent literally means to change our thinking. Jesus said, repent. It didn't carry all the connotation of 2,000 years of, of Christian history. The word literally meant change the way you think. Change the way you think. The kingdom of God has come. It's different. It involves being empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. It involves walking in partnership and obedience. So I think it required more. We're going to talk more about that later. Uh, later being probably next week. But maybe not. But before we do, I want to just take a few minutes and talk about understanding the totality of salvation. What took place, what is taking place, I want you to see the whole thing, the totality of salvation or being restored to relationship with God. Starting in Ephesians chapter 2, where we just read, verse 3 says, Among whom also we all once conduct ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 8, For by grace you've been saved. Sorry, that was four that I wanted, but same thing. For by grace you've been saved. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love. By grace you have been saved through faith. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2.15 uses the same tense. And it says, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 15... For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, talks about much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall, shall be saved from wrath through him. And if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So there's three tenses. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. Those three tenses, if we understand them, in them lie the, uh, the t totality of salvation. It's like three phases of salvation, not three parts. It's not three separate things. It's one salvation, but three phases. It's, it's almost like building a building. There's a foundation, there's wall, there's roof. 
different parts, but it's just one building. There is one salvation, but there's different phases of it that we need to understand. So I want to take a few minutes and just talk about those. Having been saved, the word is justified. It's the, the theological word is justification, but it really means having been saved. What happens when we come to Jesus? It's kind of like a wedding. The wedding's not the whole marriage, it's the beginning. And so this is the beginning, what happens? And I want you to understand that three things happen instantly when we come to Christ. Uh, and I'll tell you what they are, but uh, in John 1, 12, it says, but as many as received him, to they, them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, as many as received him. So something happens when we receive him. In fact, it's three things that happen, and they happen instantaneously. The first is that we have new life. As we just read in Ephesians 2, verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. When we were dead, he made us alive. There's a new life. What we need to understand is that it's the spirit part of us that was dead. The part that knows God, the part that interacts with him, that part is dead. If you turn with me to John chapter 3, we're going to do a lot of scripture today because I want you to get a hold of this. But John chapter 3, in verse 3, uh, Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. There's something of the spirit that is alive to God. When Adam and Eve sinned, God said, the day you eat of this tree in the garden, you'll die. They didn't die physically, but they died in separation of relationship from God. Their spirit died, that which is alive to God. So what happens is that we get a new life. The spirit comes back to life. But at the same time, we get a new partner. The Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ, He makes us alive. He's part of every salvation. There is a point that those who, uh, us who believe in the filling of the Spirit, there is a surrendering to the Holy Spirit that we often call the baptism of the Holy Spirit which takes place. But that doesn't mean the Spirit isn't at work until that point. The Spirit is at work in it, every part of salvation. He's there at every salvation. He's the one who convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's the one who becomes a partner with us. But not only do we have a new life and a new partner, we also have a new status. And that's what I want to talk about, being justified. Our sin is removed. Some people use the expression, just as if I'd never sinned. Now that's an easy thing to remember, but it's not really good theology. Because it's not as just as if I've never sinned. I have sinned. Mm. He's taking my sin away. 
and made me the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness I had as if I hadn't sinned, but the very righteousness of God. It's much more. So our sin is removed and we are now righteous. Our status is that we're righteous. Second Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So we actually attain this status that is new. Not only are we justified, we're forgiven. So two things happen. Our guilt for our sin is forgiven and our sin is removed. That's pretty amazing. But all that's based on what Jesus did. Not on what we did. That's why it's called grace. Unearned, unmerited favor. Jesus has done it. We have a new status. Let me say this. It's impossible to have relationship with God restored or impossible to be, be restored to relationship with God without a new status, a new life, and a new partner. All that is done completely and instantly when we repent and come to Jesus. We don't have to work it out. It's just as we humble ourselves and come to him, we receive a new life. Our spirit is born again to have relationship with God. We have a new status, our sins removed so we can have relationship with God. And we have a new partner, the Holy Spirit, who helps us come into understanding relationship with God. All happens, all at once. As amazing as that is, that's just the beginning. We have been saved, justified. But we're also being saved. The theological word for that is sanctified. Being made holy or uh, set apart. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11 And such were some of you, talking about those who were sinful, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 3. Finally, brethren, we urge you and exhort, we urge and exhort you in the name, in the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more just as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So there is a increasing more and more, an abounding more and more. Doesn't mean that we're getting more righteous. There is no more righteous than the, than the righteousness of God. It means that something else is happening. Let me give you one more scripture, Hebrews ten fourteen. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's almost like a contradiction of terms. He's perfected those who are being sanctified. So what's actually happening? I think it's this, there's an increasing. In essence, 
It's if God's saying, you're righteous, now live holy. You've got a new life. Now let that work out in you as a new lifestyle. Matthew 5, 48 says, be perfect. Let me turn to it and show you. Matthew 5, 48 says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. But that word perfect literally is, is mature. And so we're growing in maturity. We're growing as the new life within us becomes a lifestyle as it works its way out. I'll give you a few other scriptures. If you're taking notes, you can write these down or we'll get them on tape so you can have them. But Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, the prisoner of God, therefore, I, I therefore, the prisoner of God, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in the spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Colossians 1.10. There's a whole lot of these. I just want to give you a few so that you have a record. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And 2 Thessalonians and chapter 1 and verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God might count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. So this new life becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a calling. It becomes a working out of this in our lives. But there's a process involved in that. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It takes a working out. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We have been justified. We've been made righteous. Our sins have been removed, but we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Again, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the t until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Does that mean he's only begun my righteousness? Am I only partially justified? No. I've been totally justified. I have been saved. But there is a process that is being saved. There is a process of this working out in my life that is transforming me. Romans 12, 2, most of you know that, says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what I want you to grasp is this. There is a transforming of our soul to more accurately represent the new spirit that has been brought to life within us rather than the old flesh and the world. So this process of trans transformation is not salvation from the standpoint that I'm being justified. It's actually that justification now being worked out in my soul, my mind, will, and emotions so that I begin to think differently, as Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think differently. I begin to feel differently. My emotions are impacted. The things that I had believed that were untrue, that were wrong about God, they become begin to be transformed. They begin to be changed. And what happens is that my lifestyle begins to reflect the new life that's within me. That doesn't happen instantaneously. When I get saved, there is justification. There's being made righteousness that happens all at once. But then there's a working out of that. In fact, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says that very thing. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What does that mean? Does that mean I, I have to earn my salvation? No, it's work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Because God is in you, work out your salvation. Let it transform your soul. Let it transform your mind. Let it transform your, your will. Let it transform your emotions. Let it change the way you think. There is a working out of that. You're a new creature from the standpoint that your spirit's been born again. But there is a allowing that to work in us so that we become conformed to the image of Christ. Are you still with me? I hope that that's, uh, that's clear. It, we're not talking about earning salvation. We're talking about working with the Holy Spirit as he transforms our soul. How does that work? How do you do that? How's your soul transformed? It's uh, three things. First is, you don't let the world mold you. Mold you. Don't be conformed to the, to the world. Realize that the uh, devil is the, the god of this world, the ruler of this world. We talked last week. The world lies under his influence. So the values and much of the opinions of the world are contrary 
to the kingdom of God. And therefore, if we allow them to mold us, if we become conformed to the world, we don't allow the life of God to be transforming in the way we think, in the way we work. We have a new approach to life because we have a new relationship with God, a new partnership. I don't have to be afraid of the future where maybe I was before, but I have a security in him. So I can have a different approach to life. So don't let the world mold you, but also then die to the flesh. Romans 8 talks about the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life. And so there's something of not giving into my flesh. My flesh is still influenced by the world. We'll talk about that in a moment. But not allowing that to have reign over me. Uh, we die to that when we're baptized in Christ as we die. So, uh, but then there's also walking a step with the Spirit. Let, believing what God says. Believing His Word. Studying it and and reading his word, believing what the Spirit says, there's an agreeing with him that allows us to transform. We align ourselves with the truth of God, not with the lies of the world. And so we are in the process of being transformed. Now, there's some something in there that I'm not sure that I totally understand, though I think that there is a lot of research that you'll find on this subject, but that how the soul goes impacts the body. And so, Third John, just before the book of Revelation, Third John, one, one chapter, so verse two, John says this, Brother, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. There's something of health tied into the prosperity of the soul. Now that doesn't mean that I'm rich in my soul, but it means as I'm transformed, there's something of that transformation of the soul that has an effect on the body, a healthy effect. Sometimes I'm not as worried. Uh, Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So there's something of being transformed that also affects the body. And so it's important that we understand that. We'll talk about that in a second. So I have been saved. I've been justified. I've got a new life. I've got a new partner. I've got a new, new uh, status. But I'm being saved, sanctified. God's working that out in my life. I'm changing the way I think, the, the way I feel. The, the, the choices that I make are now aligning with that new life in me, with the Spirit of God in me. And that is then working that out. I'm developing not only a new life, but a new lifestyle. But the third phase... I will be saved. It's called glorification. There's still some of this salvation that's future. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to start from verse 42. He's talking about the body. But he says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. Talk about glorification. That, that which will be. And so it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. It's talking about what we will be. It's talking about a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. There's something about this physical body that has to be changed and transformed. I tell you, mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something about the spiritual body that is still to come. It hasn't happened yet. My body is still natural. It's still subject to aging. I have white hair. No matter how much I pray, God hasn't changed it. It's part of this thing where my body hasn't been fully redeemed. Now Romans eight twenty nine. Let me just read it to you. You can read these yourself and spend time with them if you'd like. Romans 8, sorry, verse 30. It says, moreover, those whom he predestined, those he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. If you read that, you see that sanctification is missing. What I think that's saying to us is our ultimate glorification doesn't depend on our sanctification, but on our justification. Doesn't depend on our soul being transformed. It depends on what Jesus has done. In other words, the illustration is the thief on the cross next to Jesus. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, justified, sin removed, everything. He believed in Jesus 
and but there was no process of him being transformed, but he was still ultimately glorified. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. So I want you to understand this. Our spirit is born again. Justification. We have been saved. Our soul is being transformed. Sanctification. We're being saved. Our body will be changed. Glorification. We will be saved. Just so you understand that if we teach sanctification without justification, if we teach the transforming of the soul without what God has already done, it leads to legalism. Mm. It sounds like we have to earn our salvation. There's no earning our salvation. It's all of grace. God's done it. But the other side of that is if we teach justification, all that God's done without sanctification, it leads to passivity, a compromise with the world and the flesh, an immaturity. We don't become conformed to the image of God. We don't reflect him. We don't represent him. We're ambassadors. We're going to talk about that when we get to the kingdom. We're ambassadors. We represent some another authority in another realm, not our own. A friend of mine said like this, once when we are most whole God is most glorified I love that when we are most whole when we're saved when we've allowed that to work out in us so that we become sanctified set apart we become a lifestyle of of salvation uh, not just a new life, but a new lifestyle. And then when our physical body is glorified, then you can say, okay, that's a lot of theology, a lot of theological words, and maybe you missed that. But let me put it in this context. I accepted Jesus when I was a teenager. I came into relationship with him and was totally justified. My sins were removed. Uh, I came into relationship with God. But over the years, as I've listened to his word, as I've responded to truth, as I've allowed the Holy Spirit to live within me, there has been a changing of my lifestyle. I used to have a, a very, very bad temper. And uh, God's been dealing with that over the years so that most people would never know that that was me. They've never seen it. They wouldn't know that that was the case. It's been actually changed. Now, in a very real sense, I'm probably one of the wealthiest people I've ever met. Now, what does that mean? I'm, it means that as I've allowed God to work in me, I have the, the most wonderful wife in the world for me. Absolute blessing and a delight. I have children I'm incredibly proud of, grandkids that I just love to pieces. I live in a comfortable place. I have friends, I have family, but more than that, I have a security for the future in Jesus. I've allowed the Holy Spirit to live with it in me and part of the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace. And so I'm full of 
love for people and I'm happy, full of joy and peace. Not always as patient as I'd like to be. We're still working on that one. But as we allow God to work in us, those things come out and we end up experiencing the uh, fruit of salvation in this life, not only in the life to come. It's not just wait till we get to heaven someday. It's actually God has done this. Now it's working out and it's changing us and we're becoming fruitful. Not fruitful for the kingdom, but just enjoying the fruit of the kingdom. And that's part of as we respond to, to truth, as we hear God, the totality of salvation. So, let me just finish this part by saying why we still need the healer today. I want you to understand this. Our body is not yet glorified. It's not yet fully redeemed. We still age. There's a diminishing image of God. I don't understand how all this works. A number of years ago, uh, my mom was coming to visit us when we had moved to Australia before she passed away. This is quite a few years back. And uh, about a year before she came, she had got uh, oven cleaning fluid. You know, the oven cleaning spray stuff that you put inside the oven in her eyes and it damaged her eyes. Uh, my mom's always worn glasses, but her eyes were damaged. And when it all settled out over a number of months, her eyesight was much worse and she had to get new glasses. And uh, while she was traveling to Australia on the plane, she felt the Holy Spirit told her, when you get to Australia, I will heal your eyes. Which she was quite excited about. And the very first meeting she was at in the church we were part of at that point in, in Adelaide, uh, someone felt like they had a word of knowledge that God was going to heal eyes. And so having that warning, she jumped up out of her seat and literally ran to the front and, uh, and received prayer. And God touched her. And her eyes were healed back to where they were before the, the oven cleaner. When she got back to the States, she had to go back to the eye doctor and get glasses that were the same prescription as she had before. Jesus is healing her eyes. Why didn't he just heal them all the way? I don't know. There was an accident that caused something, but there's something else that's not fully redeemed. I don't understand it all. We're still subject to accidents and pain. If I twist my ankle, it still hurts. Uh, fortunately, there's something of natural healing. There's something of supernatural, but... There's something else. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17. That it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. He took means he carries away sickness and disease. Okay, this is actually Jesus was healing people and in the process of healing people, he was fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied, that he's the healer and he takes away sickness and disease. I believe sickness and disease are a product of a sinful world in the realm of the devil. Wasn't God's intent 
it's the byproduct of sin in the world. We're facing a COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that very possibly got released from a lab where people were trying to deal with different kinds of things. Uh, if there were no sin, we'd never have to deal with this stuff. Uh, it's the result of sin and the fact that the devil's the ruler of this world. But Jesus is still healing. We need to understand the kingdom of God has broken in, but it's not totally fully complete yet. The kingdom of God, the rulership of God has broken in in Jesus. It's having an impact in people's lives. We're being changed and transformed. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. But the kingdom of God hasn't perpetrated or, or filled all of the world. And there's still sin and sickness, which is a byproduct of the devil's realm and rule. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God a little bit later. It's important that we understand this. But let me end with this. Even though our body's not yet glorified, Jesus is still the healer. And that's why we still need him as a healer. When we came to Jesus, we didn't get a new glorified body. Some of us think we have a glorified body. <laughs> I do. I keep telling my wife that. She hasn't agreed with me yet. But uh, we didn't actually get that. We will when Jesus comes again. But in the meantime, we face this conflict between this world and the kingdom. And we have to align ourselves with Jesus. He is still the healer and he's still taking sickness and disease. I find it hard to pray for healing for things that are age related. I remember when I was in university, faith movement days, and there was a, a real emphasis on God healing anything if we just had faith. And my friend at, at a meeting threw his eyeglasses on the floor and stamped on them in faith that God would heal his eyes. And after about two weeks of walking around and squinting and not being able to drive, he finally went and got new eyeglasses. Uh, can God heal? Yes, he does. For some reason, is he not yet healing the effects of aging and our non-glorified body, he will someday. Uh, but we, I believe we can continue to press in to him for the supernatural of healing. Amen. Lord, thank you for all the salvation, the totality of salvation. We're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. We're justified. We're being sanctified and we will be glorified. And we recognize that all that's in you. And we just thank you for that. Lord, help us understand as we approach, knowing ourselves with grace, approaching you with grace, but ourselves with grace, that sometimes in this process, it doesn't happen instantaneously. It takes a while for us to think differently. It takes a while for us to rewire the synapses in our brain 
the uh, the freeways that our thoughts have followed down that have become so easy to travel to rewire that so it comes different and that's part of your transforming us by the renewing of our mind. Thank you that as we respond to you, you do that. And Lord, we just thank you for your life, your new life in us, and the life that is working out through us to affect not only us, but those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.